And welcome to episode 20 of the Lace Em Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And today's topic of conversation, yo, fired. Well, <laughs> at least a couple of coaches are. We will expand on that. Also, Yarmer Yager sets another milestone. Uh, it seems to be a recurring theme on the show. Um, also talking about Steven Stamkos making some history of his own and... Uh, Plenty of other stuff. McDonough is concussed again. The wildcard chase continues. And, of course, we'll talk about the Bruins and the Sens, as we usually do at the tail end of the show. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Uh, Brett is going to tell you guys how you can follow us on social media. Right. Uh, so we have uh, Facebook, which is Laysome Podcast. Uh, no, Laysome Up Podcast. Yeah. Um, then we have our Twitter, which is Laysome Podcast. Right. Um, our email is laceupbag at gmail.com. And, oh yeah, and rate us on iTunes, um, and uh, subscribe to us on SoundCloud. Yeah, we appreciate any and all feedback, any hockey questions. Yep. We haven't gotten so much of those yet, but so we inquire your feedback and your questions as well. We'll be yeah. happy to um, Shout outs to the late John Beliveau. Uh, we're talking about players who wore number 20 in their NHL careers. Apparently, John Beliveau uh, didn't just wear number four, he wore a bunch of others. Uh, this was... One of the last ones that he wore, which is number 20, or maybe it was one of the first, but um, on uh, the website that I looked it up, uh, Jean Beliveau wore number four. I think he wore number 17 as well. I was about to say, I thought he just wore four, but I guess he wore 20. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently, uh, Guy Carboneau also wore number 20, as did uh, Ray Ferraro, Dino Cicerelli, and during his time at the Winnipeg Jets, Ty Domi wore number 20, believe it or not. Uh, also, a couple of obvious people who wore number 20 throughout their careers, including Ro- uh, Luke Robitaille, Robert Lang, uh, Evgeny Nabokov, and Ed Belfour, Ryan Suter. Um, but how about these people you probably haven't heard of in a long while? Steve Ruchin, who uh, helped the Ducks in 03 pull off uh, the four-game sweep in overtime against the Red Wings. He was the OT hero in that one. Uh, Craig Conroy also wore number 20. Bronco Horvath, H-O-R-V-A-T-H, Bronco Horvath, a war number t- war number 20, no relation to Bo Horvath at all. Right, but the- um, Ryan Kessler actually wore number 20 in his early years in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Hoffman, not the Hoffman that plays for the Senators, the one that played for the Hartford Whalers in 1986, he wore number uh, 20. Uh, Christian Huselius and Anton Stasny and Pete Mahovlich also uh, wearing uh, that jersey number, as did Michael P- Michaela Pavanka, who had a, a lot of successful years in the 80s and 90s. So um, probably not all of those names rang a bell, but a lot of interesting names I found on that list. So uh, now that we've gotten that out of the way, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, coaching casualties, and the first one came a few hours fittingly after we recorded episode number 19. Yeah, yeah, it was... Um... It was probably the first time that's kind of happened to us where we where we recorded something and then all of a sudden this news broke. So this is kind of old news now, but uh, 
but we, I did promise, I did, like, after recorded, because I, luckily I didn't publish it yet, so, um, so I made a, you know, I made an announcement before the last podcast, just explaining what happened, and, um, so luckily, so we're gonna talk about it right now, um, yo, Mike Yo is fired uh, from the Minnesota Wild. Uh, he, um, so yeah, that was the news. Um, and it turns out that uh, the Wild, the Wild were kind of out of a playoff position, but now since he's been fired, they've been really hot. Uh, they've won four straight, um, or uh, after his uh, his firing. Um, I mean, they're still, uh, seventh in their division. Um, hold on, sorry. They're sixth in their division, I'm sorry. And, but they play the, uh, Blackhawks, um, in, uh, the Minnesota Stadium today. Yeah. Um, uh, in a couple of hours right now, I mean... So the result, basically, when this podcast is published, you'll know how... The you'll game. know what's yeah. going on. But, uh, yeah, Minnesota's been... Uh, hold on, I did I say four straight? I think, yeah, they've won... I don't know if they... Oh, they've won they three straight. Saturday, they've won, they won three straight. No, they won on... They didn't play on Saturday. Okay, so, yeah, three straight then. Yeah. Right, because they're... Yeah, they're getting prepared for the... Uh, the stadium series or whatever, but um, yeah. So they won three straight. I th- I said four straight, but yeah. So the um, I don't know. What do you think of this firing? Well, the Wild have scored five goals in each of those three games that you mentioned. A feat mm-hmm. they failed to accomplish in the new year prior to those three games. And granted, they were against the Flames, Canucks, and Oilers. But to to have that kind of an impact in your first three games as a coach, John Torricetti will happily take that. Um, given his limited time with the players. Uh, like you said, the big test will be the stadium series game against the Blackhawks, who have really distanced themselves from Minnesota in the NHL standings, and they're primed to contend for their fourth cup in seven years. Um, Minnesota will host the Islanders and Panthers after that stadium series game, and they'll also have uh, two away games against Philly and Washington, sandwiched in between. Uh, like you mentioned, still in the hunt and gained a bit of ground in the wildcard mix. But like so many other teams, they need to get on a roll. They need to stay hot, especially with the deadline less than a week away. Um, and the good news is in all this, after the Stadium Series game, they only play six divisional games for the rest of the season, which is a good break for them. Uh, as for the firing itself, I can't say I was too surprised. I mean, this team had been struggling to find consistency over the past month or so, and it doesn't help when you play in the most challenging division to win in the NHL. But you look back to last year, when Mike Yo absolutely lost it during a team practice, ripping into his players with so many F-bombs and expletives that cannot be repeated for obvious reasons. Right. Um, I remember that. <laughs> when Devin and Dubnik got there, and they started to win, and they punched their ticket to the postseason, and they made it past the opening round, and they put up a respectable fight against Chicago, everyone thought, you know, his job is going to be safe for now. But there wasn't an inch of doubt in my mind that if this team started to slide again like they did last year with Dubnik and goal, which they did, Mike Yo's time was up and changes were coming. In order to succeed, you need to be in control of your team, 
but you have to show some faith in your players, and your players need to believe in you. And when I heard Thomas Vanek got scratched before a game in St. Louis, and I heard him say after Mike Hill was fired, he hadn't spoken to Mike since that game, that day he was scratched. There was an obvious disconnect with some of the players in that dressing room, which made this decision less of a shock and more of a no-brainer. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it seems. Uh, I think there was like a quote from Thomas Fanick a couple of days ago, um, or when it, you know when it happened, like yeah, that, the day of, yeah, um, that like uh, yeah, he stopped listening to Yo when as soon as he uh, benched him one time or something like that. Yeah, that was a week. That was a week or two before Yo yeah. was there. Yeah. yeah, and it was uh, that was an interesting quote to me because a it, it mentions that um that like you know Leo has clearly lost the room so to speak or that's a phrase we always use here but um so th- there was that and it's also it just makes it seem like you know Thomas Vanek just you know like I get it's hard to like talk with that considering Vanek hasn't lived up to his expectations or of what he should, he should have been. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, especially in the central division, it's, uh, it's tough to get wins, but the Minnesota wild have, have been underperforming lately and they shouldn't be where they are at right now. Um, just because of how many guys they have that should be doing better than they have been. Like Zach Parise, uh, Thomas Vanek, as I just mentioned, uh, Palmanville has been uh, has uh, disappeared as well, and uh, Ryan Suter has been good, uh, um, of course. And Dubnik, you know, can't like last year. Last was, year he was playing out of his mind. This right. year he's, he's playing good, but not nearly the pace he was last year. Right, last year Dubnik pretty much saved the wild season and saved Yo's job because he's for the time being yeah yeah for the time being yo would probably have been fired last year in the middle of the season if dubnik didn't go on a hot streak at the end um so now he can't rely on dubnik as much although dubnik's been okay um since then but um yeah it's uh i guess it's one of those things where it's it was bound to happen um and I, I guess it's a lot like uh, if we take it to a Montreal situation, it's it's like something that's going to happen pretty soon, too, with Tarion. So, um, um, yeah, we'll see uh, if the move makes sense or not. It worked for, uh, uh, you know, Pittsburgh fire their coach, and then uh, they found, you know, Mike Sullivan's been pretty good for them. Um I think it's worked out well for many of the first three games. I mean, yeah. five bowls in each of them. That's exactly again. That's a pretty impressive feat. But yeah, and I don't. I think that's the only fire, coach firing this season, right? Uh, uh, no, there have been two others, as you mentioned. Mike Johnston uh, was fired by the Penguins. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, I thought those uh, were the only two. No, that... I think there was. Oh, right, Tortorella. Tortorella. Right, right. Todd Richards from Columbus replaced by yeah. Tortorella. Yeah, it was the other one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so early on that we forgot. Um, yeah. But you, you look, you look at, um, you look at Minnesota, and yeah, it doesn't help that they play in the toughest division. But you look at the Blackhawks, how well they do every year. Coach uh, Joe Quenville 
uh, always seems to get the best out of his players. Ken Hitchcock, who's, uh, whose teams have been underperforming in the playoffs for the past couple of seasons, look how good they're doing, even with uh, Jake Allen on injured reserve. They're riding Brian Elliott like a horse, and he's been, and he's been playing very good for them. Actually, uh, speaking of they, Jake... They, they've, been yeah. able, they've been able to adapt, and, and Mike Hill wasn't able to do that. He wasn't sure. able to get the best out of his players, and regardless of you know how many different egos in that dressing room you have to deal with, Great coaches know how to make it work, and unfortunately, he couldn't get it to work out in time, and he paid the price for it. Yeah, I think speaking of Allen, I think he's actually uh, coming back, or like he uh, he's off of injured reserve or something. I read that. Well, I, I know he's practicing with his team and getting a couple of shots in, but I don't think there's a timetable for his return. I say that because he's on one of my fantasy teams. Oh, hold on. I was pretty sure he. I just read somewhere that he was out, um, or he's back. Yeah, he's returned from injured reserve. This happened 26 oh, minutes ago. Oh, that's that's very promising for my team then. Uh, but <laughs> uh, again, regarding St. Louis, like they're yeah. doing all this without T.J. Oshie. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, they still need help that way. But yeah, you're right. They're doing this all. You know, you thought I thought they were going to slide back down. Yeah. They've been pretty well. They've been doing pretty well lately. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's uh, let's talk about the Flint Firebirds. Um, I'm not the OHL guy. Uh, Steve is, so I'm going to let him discuss what happened here. Um, I know briefly what happened, but uh, I think Steve will be able to give you. A better explanation for what happened. Yeah, and I and I already provided an explanation of what was going on in Flint. I think it was in episode four or five yeah, or yeah, one yeah, of the earlier like episodes that. that we did. And it's unfortunate that we're talking about this again, but uh, <laughs> here we are. Um, the uh, Flint Firebirds. Um, I have never seen so many shenanigans in an inaugural season than this one. Uh, and it, it's got the OHL commissioner uh, shaking his head uh, just in case. Um, you don't recall what happened to them earlier in the season. I'll give you a, ref- a quick refresher here. Uh, disgusted with the lack of ice time his son was getting, Rolf Nielsen, the owner of the OHL's Flint Firebirds, and my hockey dad of 2015, not really, <laughs> dismissed head coach John Gruden, one of the assistant coaches, Dave Carpa, and just about anyone who disagreed with the decision. That did not, however, include the players that revolted in disgust over the ruling, including the owner's son, Hayden Nielsen. So John Gruden and Dave Carpa were rehired and given multi-year contract extensions. The players comply. They return to the team. This happened in November, by the way. And all appear to be resolved. In the weeks and months that followed, their starting goalie, Alex Ndelkovic, was traded to the Niagara Ice Dogs, which was expected given the fact he probably wasn't going to play in the OHL next year anyway. Uh, a few days later, or maybe a few weeks later, in any, in any case, Josh Wesley, one of their defensemen, was also traded out of Flint. Both are Hurricanes prospects. So why is that significant? The owner of the Carolina Hurricanes franchise was the previous owner of the Plymouth Whalers until the day he sold and moved the team to Flint during the offseason. So that's pretty much a prelude to uh, what happened this week. In the months leading up to the start of their inaugural season in Flint, uh, first of all, the Firebirds made a big trade, sending a bunch of draft picks to Mississauga for Mikey McLeod, a player who possessed a lot of talent, a lot of potential, and a ton of love for the GTA, so much so that he refused to play for any team outside the GTA. 
and he made that perfectly clear the day before he was drafted. So he was traded back to the Steelheads for about the same value the Firebirds had to give up in order to get him. Once again, that trade put them on the OHL's radar, and uh, that dysfunctional uh, move that fell apart was, in essence, a sign of things to come. Uh, Because since then, they haven't been able to stay off the OHL's radar. Um, They're already out of the playoff picture, well below 500, in an already challenging Western Conference, prompting Gruden and Carpa to be dismissed from their duties for the second time in just a matter of months. However, this move wasn't made due to the fact that this team was struggling to find success. The move was made for apparently the exact same reason as the first one. The owner's son still wasn't satisfied with the ice time that his son was getting, and the coaching staff, um, these two individuals, were promptly fired again. The following day, in the team practice, uh, Aiken Nilsson was the only individual dressed and ready to go. Everyone else didn't show up. The OHL, of course, quick to step in, reviewed the matter. They concluded that Rolf Nielsen had crossed the line, and they have since suspended the owner indefinitely from the team. Uh, The OHL has now assumed control of the Firebirds organization until further notice. Um, These are NHL hopefuls, folks. These aren't NHL players. These are guys trying to make the NHL. They're trying to make an impact, and some of these guys are in their draft year. Will Bitten, uh, Ottawa boy, I should say, (laughs) as well as uh, Firebirds for it, a promising prospect, a potential first-round pick. How do you think this is affecting his stock in all of this? Um, Take it from the commissioner himself, David Branch. He calls this disappointing and very concerning. Uh, And... And they're, and they're looking at this issue very, very closely, and, and they're going to keep an eye on, on this team, who's only been around for at least six months. Mm. Um, and again, when I talk about crazy inaugural seasons, when the same two coaches are canned twice in one season, before the season is even over, um, it's mind-boggling uh, how this sports team is being uh, run and, and how this franchise... Uh, already needs the OHL to hold their hand, basically. Uh, Here's another example of how this situation is affecting the players. We were really assured that the situation was going to be all right and ownership wasn't going to be able to do anything without the league's approval, commented Jordan Newman, the agent of Stars Prospect and Firebirds defenseman Alex Peters. He was a uh, third-round draft pick of Dallas in 2014. He goes on, I don't want to say we were misled, but the league must have thought that the situation was under control. This is an important season for Alex. The Stars are going to be looking at him to see if they are going to offer him a contract. And saying that every season is important to every player at the major junior level. If we had any idea that we'd be looking at this sort of a turmoil a couple months later, we certainly would have gone to them and asked for a trade. I guess most would have done the same thing. Um, and, I, I, again, the the draft stock, uh, the the stock of some of these players are are being grossly affected in a league where guys like Tyler Sagan and Connor McDavid have been good foot soldiers for the OHL and how a good stint in the OHL will affect your career in a positive way. uh, The Flint Firebirds fiasco is one reason to stay away from the OHL. (laughs) And I can only hope like so many other fans of this league that the OHL brand hasn't been broken by the most selfish sports owner on the planet 
because he has hurt this team enough already. I uh, wonder if uh, the OHL will uh, force them to uh, force the owner to di- like you know like force the owner to not um, to sell the team to sell the team. Yeah, I don't even know if uh, Lee can do that, but um, it would be uh, something that they um, they should do. Um, considering what's what's going on, but um, there, there, there are know. two easy solutions: either get rid of the owner. Or trade his son. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or both. Right, if right. It, if, it, if it helps. But, I mean, uh, I don't know. Like, if I was job. if I was like drafted to the Flint Firebirds, I'd be like, I, I think I, I, I don't know what I would do. I'd be, uh, with that owner in place, I don't think I'd, uh, I'd be happy there. Especially. Yeah, that's what a lot of yeah. people are saying, too. Um, if you're, um, also, yeah, you were talking about development, um, I assume this would, uh, crush your development in your team, so all those guys, you know, that's pretty much what the OHL is for, is all about development, um, whether you're a prospect who's already been drafted, or you're, you're just hoping to be drafted, um, so the, you know, that situation, it's, it definitely has a huge effect on that. Um, and as well, uh, it's like, what a time for Flint, uh, it had to be Flint, uh, Michigan, because, uh, I don't know if you, if, if you've heard in Canada, but Flint, Michigan has a water issue. There was like a huge, we've heard a lot about that. Yeah. Uh, so water supply is terrible, apparently. Exactly. So it's, um. So it's a uh, it's a bad year for Flint right now. Yeah, and um, and, and yeah. you know injuries can, like I said, can just as much derail someone's uh, season. You know, in their draft year especially. Mm-hmm. That's something you can't really control. This is yeah. This should not happen. Right. And it's it's unfortunate to those players that it has, but uh, I think. Uh, uh, hopefully we won't have to talk about this subject again. And we probably will, though. <laughs> they get some proper ownership. But uh, definitely suspending the owner from the team indefinitely, I would think, for the time being, has, has put some kind of stability there. And, and I've heard great things about uh, the billeters and, and the season ticket holders. It's just, mm. it's just the ownership level is off the charts losing its marbles right now. Right. Well, I was wondering. So, if they, let's say they do get a new owner, would they have to move again, or like would um, it have to be someone who lives in Flint who could own the team? See, that's that's a, that's a tough call. Um, it, um, I, I don't know if John Gruden, after all that's happened to him this year, if he would want to uh, own the team right now, or if. He, <laughs> or if he even wants to bother with that. Um, right. this, uh, it doesn't look like it, his role. he'll have a role with the team this time around because the assistant GM was behind the bench in, their, in uh, one of their last games. Uh, and on top of that, they had to face the Erie Otters, and this weekend they, would also, they were also facing uh, London and Sarnia, who are both stacked for a playoff run as well. So, um <laughs> Not exactly, like you said, not exactly how you want an inaugural season to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, speaking of inaugural seasons, uh, we're we're moving into the rapid fire right now. Um, and our first topic, I guess there's two topics that we could have 
led off with the rapid fire, but I decided to go with Ghost Bear. His inaugural season, um, NHL season, that is. He uh, he has a. Uh, yeah, we talked about him last week um, on our podcast, but um, his point streak is still going. It's uh, 15 games. It's it's impressive. The last point was uh, was an OT winner, um, which is. Uh, Crazy. Um, I don't know. I just guess we just mentioned that. Uh, it's uh, he's definitely making a strong case for a Calder Trophy. Um, although I think Panarin probably will win um, yeah. at the moment. Um, all right. Uh, this and, is and, and again, it, you, you look at how many goals that he scored, and how many of them have been game changers, either tied yeah. the game or or won the game. Yeah, I think that was his fourth that, OT. That, Goal. Yeah, another OT winner for for the Ghost Bear. He's he's still haunting uh, the opposition, and, <laughs> yeah, and no yeah. signs of slowing down. And and the Flyers are reaping the rewards. They're, yeah. I think I think I heard three points out of a playoff spot as of last night. That obviously is subject to change, uh, but um, they're they're staying in this playoff race. And before he came in, we've talked about how much of a bad start the Flyers got off to. But you plug in Gostas Bear, someone you haven't heard of before. Uh, this I, I said on last yeah, there's three podcast, points he's, out. He's, he's this year's John Klingberg. Yeah, he's he's made so much of an impact, and teams don't know how to stop this guy. Yeah, they're the Flyers are three points out of the uh, wild card. The Penguins, uh, their in-state rival, has uh, 66. The Flyers have 63. Um, the um, yeah, it's uh, it's also impressive considering that he's a defenseman. Um, which is something that the Flyers desperately need, and it's you know, uh, but he like plays like a forward, uh, just with how many points he scores. Um, uh, speaking of points, uh, Yamir Yager is now third in goals all time. He passed uh, Brett Hull last week, uh, yesterday. Um, in fact, he tied and then surpassed. Him. Yeah, tied and then surpassed. Uh, the next on the list for him is Gordy Howe, who has eight eight hundred and one. Goals, um, which would mean he'd have probably about like two seasons if, assuming Yager gets thirty goals in that. Uh, so it, it assuming uh, he plays another yeah, year. Assuming he plays two more years, exactly. Um, but um, yeah, uh, it's a, we're watching a legend, basically. Yeah, um, a legend who continues to create. Um, uh, to to somehow uh, create records of his own. Um, if you watch this kid when he was a rookie, get ready to feel old. He's the oldest player in NHL history to score 20 goals in an NHL season. This is the 19th time he has recorded a 20-goal season in his professional hockey playing career. Yeah, if so you actually... The guy's guy still got it. If you, wanna, if you actually want to feel um, old... I wasn't born when he was drafted. <laughs> Neither was I. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, he's been... In fact, I wasn't even born when they won the two Stanley Cups. Yeah. Well, well, I was, like, two. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we're watching a legend here. It's like uh, when Gretzky was on the Rangers kind of thing. Yeah. Um... All right, uh, yeah, so then someone who's uh, other milestones we've talked about are captains on the other side of Florida. Uh, Steven Stamkos reaches 300 goals. Yep. 
Um, so he, you know, he's been a, a sniper. Uh, Ovechkin had 500 goals the uh, a couple weeks ago. So uh, Stamkos is another guy who's a little bit younger, but he can, uh, you know, he he has a shot at being having 100 500 goals at least yeah realistic shot of getting 500 goals catching up to yager uh, yeah. that's a bit of a stretch yeah of course i mean <laughs> that's gonna be tough ovechkin I, I could probably reach him though. for yager maybe to surpass gordy howe yeah. um he's not gonna catch gretzky no one's gonna catch that uh, gretzky's record but right. uh, m- maybe ovechkin but uh I feel like Yager, Ovechkin. Yeah. Yager, Yager's been uh, absolutely fantastic throughout his entire career. He's like Timo Solani. He yeah. keeps aging, but he's still a valuable player <laughs> even in his later years. And, exactly. He's uh, the, he's been the Flo- Panthers' best player besides yeah. Luongo. But yeah. Um, uh, but I think Ovechkin. Well, if Ovechkin has five hundred something, right? Um, he 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 has a chance to beat Yager. Um, you know, depending on when Yager retires, but um, and how Ovechkin plays, and how Ovechkin plays, but he, you know, he's thirty years old, so he has he could do if he has like you know ten years with like you know fifty goals or whatever, yeah, forty to fifty, 40 goals, to 50 goals. Then yeah, it's definitely possible. Uh, yeah, we have some other milestones here. So Stamkos reaches three hundred goals. Bergeron has his six hundredth point. Um, Brad Boyce got his 500th point as well. Um, yeah, so those are just other, two other guys. And uh, Brad Marchand's the 30-goal scorer. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't was going to say that. I saying that. <laughs> I know. And he's, he's, still, he's still hot. Um, I yep. think I was going to save this for our Bruins Send segment, but yeah. um, I will briefly talk about how uh, his, uh, I think the... He's definitely matured uh, over the years, and especially when he got uh, suspended for that Winter Classic game, and that definitely uh, taught him a lesson where he was just like, "Okay, I actually, you know, I'm actually the guy. <laughs> I should, I should uh, be scoring goals and all that stuff." So, and I've, I've said before, uh, not just to you, but to a lot of other people, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to play like that. This guy, you mean like can a pest, yeah. absolutely tear it up when when he is offensively on his game. He's yeah. tough to stop, and he's proving it right now. Yeah, I think I well any if you ask any Bruins fan, they all know that he's a skilled guy. Like even before the season, we all knew that he was an offensive guy. I didn't expect him to get this far, uh, but uh, I, I didn't know that he was capable of it, at least. But, um, so, but like, you know, it's always his pestiness and his aggressiveness has always been overshadowed by how good he actually is. So, um, it's good that course. it's good that people are finally giving him credit and that he's finally doing well enough to, to be given credit for. Um... Uh, Kerry Ramo is done for the year, season-ending ACL. It's not that big of a deal considering the Flames are, I mean, it is a big deal, but like <laughs> the Flames are uh, out of the playoffs right now, so um, uh, so they're, it's, uh, so now Jonas Hiller is now their starter. Um, who had, who, who was injured for a brief amount of time too, but um, so now he has to take the mantle again, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's an unfortunate event, but, um, it's, uh, I guess it, it would have been worse if the, 
the Flames were actually in playoff contention. Considering the fact that that um, you look at Kyrie Ramos' record, it's not all that pleasing. But you look at his goals against average and save percentage; they're pretty decent. Yeah. For for a Calgary Flames team that's kind of taken a step back this year, but no one really expected them to take a step forward in hindsight to last year. Um, well, I thought they would make the playoffs. But yeah. Jonas Hiller, though, because keep in mind. This is the final year of his two-year deal. He could be traded at the deadline, and that'll leave Yoni Artio as as the guy. And this guy has a lot of promise. So if Jonas Hiller is a starting goalie in Calgary, it might it might only be for the next week. Wow. Um, so, so something to keep an eye on. I'm not saying he's getting dealt, but there's right. there's a. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Yeah, I was about to ask if the uh, don't the Flames have. Besides Ortio, don't the Flames have another goalie that in their system? Yeah, I, I think it's... Uh, oh, Gillies. John Gillies, yeah. yes. He's, he's, he's also got some potential to him. He's well. 22, yeah, he is. I'm just looking here. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's 22. He has two years left on his contract, so he might be... He might be called up. I don't know. Um, uh, all right, uh, Dennis Weidman. Uh, speaking of the Flames, Dennis Weidman's suspension upheld. Uh, he's had, he's apparently, uh, I mean, it's no surprise here, uh, but, uh, apparently he, uh, texted his teammates how, um, he didn't feel really any remorse towards the referees, toward the referee. Well, that's, that's not necessarily true. I think he expressed some remorse, but I think that remorse was overshadowed when he tweeted that. The only reason I'm here is because of the stupid refs and stupid right. media. Yeah, that's that's what I... Uh, that, that, that probably didn't make him look good in the eyes of Gary Bettman, <laughs> and he not surprisingly upheld the suspension. The curious, the int- the most interesting now uh, thing now is it's going to a third party, and this is third party that's unbiased, has, has zero say in, in, in the NHL and... Uh, in any power, this is um, I- impartial, and now you're basically uh, basically relying on uh, someone who doesn't know too much as much about the NHL as you know some of the NHL executives to come in and say, "Do you up- do you uphold the suspension or do you reduce it?" And uh, he's already served ten games uh, in the suspension. Um, so that would mean another 10 or so to go. Um, uh, Elliot Friedman um, on uh, Hockey Night in Canada last night, uh, I, was, I was listening to the broadcast, and he said although he might not be uh, compensated for any games, he could be compensated in salary. And he's losing, I think, about 28200 some bucks a game for every game that he's missing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess, I mean, yeah. Um, it is interesting though, considering that Brian Burke is the president. Yeah. Um, and he's usually, he used to deal with these kind of things and now, you know, he's kind of taking a step back. I don't, I don't know what his public opinion is right now, but I think, um, the flames have made it very clear. They don't agree with the suspension at all. Right. And they're appealing. Right. But, um, I think like, I think, uh, uh, I remember hearing somewhere that like Burke, like mentioned something that he uh, like he would have if he wasn't on the if he wasn't on the Flames, um, he would probably have given the same amount of he would have given this situation twenty games or whatever. 
um, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, it's um, regardless of which team you're on, it, it doesn't really matter. I think at the end of the day, what the arbitrator is going to look at is how is Don Henderson doing a few weeks after the hit? And I heard from reports from Complete Hockey News that he hasn't gone consecutive days without experiencing concussion-like symptoms. And when those symptoms are still lingering, as severe as they are, that's that's glaring. And the arbitrator better take that into consideration. Yeah, exactly. Um, the uh, Islanders are looking to part ways with Barclays Center. Uh, there were some reports uh, uh, recently, actually, that uh, you know you couldn't see anything. Uh, there's certain part seats that you couldn't see the ice. Um, and then the, uh, I think the Islanders owner said that like, well, you can just watch on the phone on your phone or something like that. Um, and Some teams then, won't even let you do that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know if there's if the Senators have played the Islanders lately, but when the Bruins play the Islanders, there's like a huge car on like on a side of the rink. I so noticed it's like, that. Yeah, it's like a. Right in the highlights, yeah. It's like it's kind of it's funny. So Barclays is definitely not a great place to watch hockey games. So uh, in in a way, this is a good thing that it's like yeah. And more importantly, the building is trying to get out of the lease. Exactly. As well. yeah. Not just the Islanders, it's the building as well. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the Islanders will move back to uh, the Nassau Coliseum Not or something. Not likely. Not <laughs> likely. That thing is, is in but, my opinion, uh, broken beyond repair. They moved out of there for a reason. Yeah, um, true. I just, I'm just trying to think of, like, what. How, how they practice and how they get to the rink. Yeah. Um, I still think. Nassau Coliseum is not the place for them. I'm just trying to think of where else the Islanders could go, but I don't know where else the Islanders could go, really. And and that's, I think, the only reason why they're playing at the Barclays Center right now is I don't think they have anywhere else to go unless they share MSG with the New York Rangers or something (laughs) like that or with the New Jersey Devils or something. But uh, until they... The, the only way they would probably be getting out of the Barclays Center is if they, they build a new arena. Or uh, Barclay fixes whatever. Not, where is yeah. still remains to be seen. But Or if the Barclay... It's, it's yeah. because they have, a, they have a good team and, and a team that most people would uh, would pay good money to see. Exactly. But um, again, the, the, the leasing issues with the building have been an issue uh, long before they moved to the Barclays Center. Yeah, um, although, yeah, you'd wonder if, like, maybe Barclays could fix some of the things that is wrong with it, but um, at the same time, I'm not, I'm trying to think of, like, where else the Islanders could go, but, uh, the yeah, Barclays, they're not going back to Nassau, that's true. Yeah, so the, I don't the know. Barclays Center, here's the problem, it wasn't built to be a hockey rink, it was true. built to be a basketball arena, and that right. is the problem. Yeah, that's true, that is the problem, but... Um, you'd think that they could like at least fix some things, you know, but, um, and that's not to say they, they won't bother to fix them. I would think, you know, if, if, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, they're going to have mm-hmm. to do something. Right. But if both the Barclays center people and the Islanders don't want to be a part of this anymore, then it's, it says something, it's I not a good news, you know, a long-term fix. I yeah. said just until they get the heck out of there. Exactly. Um, uh, Radko Gudis is avoiding suspensions again. He hit, uh, it wasn't playing DZ. Um, it was, uh, 
I'm blanking on the name. But it was a, a New Jersey Devil. Um, but yeah, it looks like a headshot. Uh, the NHL said that they weren't going to suspend him. I remember last week you were you were going on about Gudas yeah, doing something. Hit on Buffalo, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that this guy has been getting a free pass, basically. Um, Strawman's been getting a few uh, few uh, passes too in that game against Winnipeg. There's that knee on knee on Ehlers. Yeah. And that hit on Little, which uh, can cost Little, and and Maurice was irate on the bench about it. So, uh, Gudis isn't the only uh, big defenseman that's uh, been that's been getting a lot of flack recently. Uh, yeah, Stump has been taking some meat too. Um, which, if we're going to segue to the next topic, uh, Komarov got suspended three games for elbowing McDonough. I thought that hit was, uh, I thought Gudis's hit was more. Um, impactful than the Komarov hit, uh, which he got three games for. So um, Komarov's was kind of a glancing elbow to the head. Like it, at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is suspendable. It, it, it's suspendable, but not nearly as malicious as the Gudas on Cat. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's suspendable, of course. I just I thought Gudas looked worse. So yeah, um, which was my point. But yeah, it's. Uh, um, I don't know. I guess it's like you can't get, keep getting away with this kind of thing. But I'll be um, perfectly honest. When I heard, when I saw that McDonough was on the ice, I was a bit surprised because I'm thinking, "Wow, he got back on the ice real quick." Because that punch they took from Flyers forward Wayne Simmons really stunned him. And I look at him on the bench after the Komarov hit. He is, he did not look good, and his condition concerns me. It concerns the New York Rangers and their fan base. And as the deadline approaches, um, I think we're going to hear about the state, the status of Ryan McDonough sooner rather than later. Because if the Rangers need to go out and get somebody to replace the loss of Ryan McDonough, they won't do it unless they know it's very, very bad. Yeah, and I think uh, Mark Stahl is also out um, for a bit, so the Rangers need some defensive help now. The only thing with the thing with the Rangers is that they don't really have any prospects and draft picks because of what yeah. they did last year and the year before. So um, they can't really, they don't really have too much leverage in terms of getting the guy or whatever, unless they trade Yandel. If um, they trade Yandel and get a bunch of uh, prospects in return and they turn that around and get, you know, like another shutdown defenseman or something like that, that's, that's the only way they could probably pull off the deal is if they get a bunch of, a uh, bunch of people back for Keith Yandel. The problem right. is, you're not going to get as much of a return as you did for Yandel because at the time he had one year left on his deal. He's got zero years left on this one. He's a free mm-hmm. agent after this year. Maybe he could go to Arizona for Declare. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Can we have Declare back, please? <laughs> um, Give us Domi, too. <laughs> yeah, and that Strom guy, he's, he's yeah. not bad. Yeah. Um, Right, so, uh, yes, uh, I guess uh, that is also a good segue, because we're talking about uh, futures and stuff. Uh, Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt are uh, now red hot for the Sabres. Uh, Eichel has 27 points in his last 27 games. Um, it can't, it's kind of been overshadowed by all the other rookies, but he's been pretty good lately. Uh, Sam Reinhardt has six goals and one assist in nine games. That's for the month of February. I mean, he yeah. leads Sabres in goals right now. 
Uh, they're playing it at the moment right now against Pittsburgh, but um, I just wanted to mention that. Uh, Leonard, Robin Leonard got a shutout, uh, like a 43-save shutout the other day, too. So um, just wanted to mention that. Yeah, that's the Leonard that everyone in Buffalo is hoping to see, so that's right. reassuring news. I'm sure it's sad for Sens fans because it's like le- uh, now Leonard and Ben Bishop. Ben Bishop for Corey Conacher. And they're both in your division, too, so. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, it's tough on you, well, but we turned we turn Lindbergh into Fanef, so yeah, that's something. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> that's true. Not a total. Loss, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I have to deal with Sagan and um, Kessel, you know, tearing up the league. But uh, John, and you, look, and you look. Speaking of teams in the division, uh, I don't know if you heard about uh, Subban and Terry and kind of. Butting heads. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's um, even rumors that uh, the Montreal's shopping Subban, um, <laughs> which I don't I don't know if that's I don't think that's ever going to happen. If they do, I I love it obviously, but um, I don't I don't I was I was thinking of mentioning it, but then I was like I don't think it's going to happen. So, yeah. but for, I mentioned for it those, for those who don't recall. Uh, after blowing a tire late in the third against yeah. the Avs, while he was trying to create a scoring chance inside enemy territory, Colorado takes possession, grabs the lead, and holds on for the three-two win over a struggling Montreal roster. Um, uh, regarding that Subban turnover, Michel Terrien, who's behind the bench until further notice, mm-hmm. he was very critical of PK's costly mistake. Uh, led to rumors, as you mentioned, the following day that Subban was being shopped or they were gauging interest. Uh, those were quickly shot down by Subban, the Canadian's personality. He said, I'm, he said, the day I was drafted, I was going to do everything in my power to help the Canadians contend for a cup, and I still feel that way. So he, he obviously he feels that he wants to be the long-term solution in Montreal. Uh, and Yeah, he's uh, been their best as, player. As, as we alluded to, I think the – the long the the problem is unfortunately Michelle Terry and not PK Subban. Yeah, um, yeah, he's been their best player. They would be stupid to trade Subban. Like like players are going to make mistakes. Like Carlson, yeah. you know, he had a couple of bad breaks last night in the sense in, in in the Sens game against the Red Wings. But you don't hear talks about him being traded. And PK Subban blows a tire on a play that if he pulls it off, he looks like a freaking genius. Right. And, and then the Avs, of course, just happened to go and score in a pretty tic-tac-toe, <laughs> and, that co- and that cost Montreal the game. Stuff like that's going to happen. And, and they they you don't want to – when making trades, you don't want to go with your heart and not and not your head because um, it's, it's easy to overreact when you think with your heart sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I think the, if, if you're going to decide between Subban and Tarion, you, you pick Subban every time, Yeah. but, uh, who knows what's going to, going on right now there. Um, oh yeah. So speaking of, uh, Montreal, uh, and trades, John Scott, uh, apparently they're, they're making a movie about, uh, the whole thing. It's officially on. This is news. This is news to me that uh, that the fact that it's actually going to happen. Yeah, apparently it's going to happen. Um, uh, you mentioned before the broadcast. I didn't even put it on here, but uh, I'll put it at the end. So you have a bold prediction, and you wanted to talk about wild card. I feel yeah. like I'm like your Don. Mc- I feel like I'm uh, Ron McLean, and you're Don Cherry right now. <laughs> this is what you have to talk about. <laughs> 
Well, my bold prediction is that Eric Stahl will be traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. According to reports from Complete Hockey News, the Hawks are looking for a top-line left winger. Uh, Stahl is a center, mind you, but I think, if memory serves me correctly, he, he played a bit of left wing during his earlier days. Um, and Stahl said it's not the end of the world if he gets traded, and he will move on if he has to. Um, the Canes are in rebuild mode. They're looking for prospects and players who are ready to help long-term. The Hawks have those. Um this, I, this deal is going to hinge on, however, what they get in return from Chicago because it's tough to get full value for a guy like Eric Stahl who's an, a UFA uh, like Keith Yandel is after this season. And Chicago, keep in mind, will they have enough money to re-sign him? And that is also a potential obstacle in the way. So to say the Canes will get any young dynamic studs out of this deal is a stretch. And to say this deal is going to happen is a stretch. But if the Hawks are looking for a top-line left winger, Eric Stahl is their best bet. Yeah, I don't know if... Aren't the Canes in it? Uh, well, I guess so. See, they're, they're like the Calgary Flames of last year, where they're in the mix, but no one gave them a chance at the beginning of the season. Oh, Everyone they're thought they'd be getting a top-five pick. Yeah, and, they're two points out of the wild card at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's without Cam Ward too. Eddie Lack is, is yeah. Well, well we knew that was going to happen. That Eddie Lack was going to find his game or whatever. And, and speaking of guys who are nearing UFA, Cam Ward is also a UFA. Yeah, so true. if uh, you want stability and goal, probably a Stanley <laughs> Cup contender is going to inquire about Cam Ward. So. Um, yeah. Uh, and and we mentioned the wild card too. Um, this information more than likely out of date as I went on the NHL's website to look at the standing sheet on uh, February twentieth, just before five p.m. But if you want another example of how glaring, um, how glaring, um, and how close the the standings are, um, and how how just important every game is to almost every team in the East, Florida is five points ahead of Tampa for the Atlantic Division lead. Uh, when I check the standings, of course. While Washington has a whopping 16-point lead on the second-place Rangers in the race for the Metro Crown, uh, that's about as close to a slam dunk as you're going to get because the Rangers have 72 points, the Islanders have 69, Tampa and Boston both have 68 points. No, the the uh, Bruins have 70. Okay. Because so they won last year. version, Bruins have 70. Detroit controls the first wild-card spot with 67 points. Well, now 68, 68 I guess. Yeah. While Pittsburgh controlling the secondary wildcard spot with 66 points, subject to change if they get a point or two against the Sabres today. Then it gets really tight. The Devils have 65 points. Carolina, of all people, had 64 prior to last night's action. Philly had 61. Ottawa had 60. Philly had 63. Yeah. Uh, So at the time. That's seven teams in the East being separated by just seven points. Again, subject to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the West, you had Chicago, Dallas, and St. Louis going neck and neck for the Central Division crown. They still are. And prior to last night, only four points separated those three teams. Only three points separated Los Angeles, Anaheim, and San Jose from the Pacific Division title. Um, we, we all thought Anaheim was going to go on a bit of a tear, but San Jose is in the mix for that. Yeah, Anaheim's been uh, pretty good lately. I think they've like won 15 of their last 19 or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Uh, both <laughs> wildcard teams, the Predators and Avalanche, had 64 points, while many had 62, Arizona had 60, the Canucks, Flames, and Jets, 56, 55, and 54, respectively. Yeah. And that pack will shrink very soon, but... I have uh, slightly different the, numbers the than you do, but... surface level, I've never seen it this even. Uh, I've never seen every single game having so much of an impact to at least one or two or three or four teams. And you can't afford to slack off this time of year. It's a cliche, but never has it been more true than this year. It's true. It, it just shows, besides uh, Washington, there's no, like, every team is, um, you know, uh, it's parody, basically. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, it is impressive that Washington has 90 points, given how competitive it is. All the races are right now. So, and, give, and given the fact we all expected Tampa and the Rangers and even the Habs, if Carey Price was healthy, to to be right, right. next, Washington exactly. to really separate themselves. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, as for your Eric Stahl to the Chicago, I don't know if that's going to happen. Just because, yeah. Like I said, it's it's unrealistic. It's a it's it's a bold prediction for a reason because yeah. it's very very unlikely of happening, but. If you want, if, uh, if, Aren't you if like Chicago, three if for? Chicago's looking for a, t- a top line left winger. I think Eric Stahl is is as good as 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 an option as there is. Are you like five? Like, haven't you gotten five correct predictions or something like that? Uh, I four, I think, is the current. Oh, for four, yeah. <laughs> but uh, clearly not counting. Um, <laughs> see, the the other thing about Chicago is they're doing so well. Do they really need Eric Stahl? Uh, they exactly. already have guys like Panarin and and Shaw yeah, that, that would be the thing too. Is if, if the Chicago gets Eric Stahl, it's like what do they get back? Because you know you need to keep yeah. you need to save room for him for the cap. But um, yeah, and, and 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 this is also important to know because I heard the cap is going as low as four million per year. It's going to yeah. shrink by four million next year. It's weird to th- yeah. It's it would be weird to think of like Eric Stahl not in a Carolina uniform though. So, yeah. um, he's kind of like one of those guys like the Sedins in Vancouver, um, you know, where you're just like, wait, <laughs> he's a, he's a Carolina guy. Um, but yeah, it could happen. Um, all right, I guess that's uh, let's go to the Bruins uh, Sens. Um, how how has uh, FNUF been doing? Well, he actually scored the the equalizer against Detroit, which sent the game to overtime, and they went on to win in a shootout. So um, he's he's been doing pretty well. Um, this is a team that's hovering around 500, has scored more goals than any team not named the Stars, Capitals, Blackhawks, Bruins, and Rangers, and that's surprising to a lot of people. Um, Shouldn't be much of a surprise to find out that at the time this podcast is being recorded, uh, I think only the Columbus Blue Jackets have been scored on more times than Ottawa has. And this isn't because Dion is on our team. It's been a recurring problem for the past couple of years. Their penalty kill, bottom five this year. Um, even during uh, Paul McLean's years behind the bench, this team has been notorious for giving up a ton of shots. They gave up close to the forty. Uh, they gave up close to forty shots against the Sabers. Uh, on Tuesday, uh, and after dropping two points to Columbus, a team they should have beaten in the first place, they pull off wins against Buffalo and Carolina, and now Detroit. Uh, and Buffalo and Carolina again, teams you should beat. Um, 
but I noticed that the Sens weren't distancing themselves for the competition in any of those games. The other team always seemed to just hang around, keep the game close, and wait for their chance to strike. And I had serious doubts that this team was going to get it done. And, and last year when they went on that kind of a magical run, that's those streaks are rare. And yeah. when you when you have those kind of streaks, you can feel that you can feel it. You can feel that you know what? So what? If we're down three goals in the first, we're going to come back and win this thing. I don't have that same kind of feeling just yet. Um, and uh, I, I would think that the fan base is is concerned that you know they're eking out all these one goal victories, and a victory is a victory, but it's you know it, it's it's definitely not. Uh, reassuring when when uh, your next three games are in Western Canada. Uh, and while the Oilers, Canucks, and Flames haven't been doing so well, um, the Western Canada can cause a lot of pain and suffering for Eastern Conference teams. Uh, all three of those teams that I was going to play this week might not make the playoffs. But just because those teams are outside the playoff picture doesn't mean they have nothing to fight for. And you can be sure they won't go on e- easy on Ottawa, especially a team like Calgary, who Bob Hartley calls, you know, very young, but a lot of hard workers on that team. Uh, you return home, and your first two tilts in March are against St. Louis and Tampa Bay, two teams are, who are in the thick of a division dogfight as it is. Um, and, and, again, another cliche, uh, they need to get on a roll. The Sens need to get on a roll, and they need to – to start winning and they need to go on a lengthy run. Um, they're not a cup contender, as I've said before, and Dion helps their chances a little bit. But this team, like I said before, needs to stay the course. They need to continue to give their young guns opportunities to succeed. I mean, just look at the past couple of years and look at what Hop, where Hoffman was and where Mark Stone was and where J.G. Pajot was, and you look at them now and they're serious contributors and you look at Ryan Zingle, who scored his first NHL goal against the Hurricanes. He's got three points in his first eight NHL games. Curtis Lazar has already surpassed his point totals from his rookie season. And Cody Ceci is on pace to surpass his personal best from last season. And then you have Zach Smith, who's been around this team for a while, had to battle a lot of injuries last year. Um, well, maybe not a lot of injuries, but an injury that kept him out of the lineup for a good chunk of the season. He's got 14 goals. After an injury-riddled campaign, he's got 14 goals. And since they put him on the first line and the second line, he's been playing very, very well. Uh, and this team has a lot to look forward to. But they are learning through their inexperience on defense and their lack of positive consistency through 60 minutes of hockey that it takes more than offense to win consistently. And until that complete game is burned into their minds – um, we're still going to see the same Ottawa Senators as we've seen for the past couple of months. Yeah, well, I mean, it is good that they, so they won their last three, and they are playing the Western Canadian teams which uh, this week. So um, they have a good chance of winning all three of those games now, the way that in, those three in are theory, playing. theory, yes. And that's the scary part because nothing that happens in theory seems to happen in real life these days, especially this year where everything's so tight. True. But I think, I think uh, if you, like, you play Edmonton on Tuesday, Vancouver on Thursday, and Calgary on Saturday, those are all winnable games. Um, yeah. You guys have won the last three. I mean, albeit two of them are Buffalo and Carolina, but 
you know, Detroit's a big win to have. So, um, and they were all one goal games for the most part. It could happen. They could just get on a roll all of a sudden. Um, this would be the time to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, (laughs) speaking, uh, the Bruins, uh, were on a road streak. Uh, they played, uh, well, we didn't, we recorded on Saturday, but this was before Minnesota. So we technically played five games this week, but, um, since we last talked, uh, so they beat Minnesota. We effectively, uh, fired Mike Yo for them. Um, (laughs) well, it was, it was Mike Yo's last game. Like yeah. after that, uh, then, um, then Yo was fired. Like, like an yeah, hour a few later hours or something. After the game, yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. Then we lost to Detroit the day after, which was an exciting game. Um. But it was still uh, it was annoying that we lost that game. Uh. Then we beat Columbus. It was a closer game than it should have been, especially to Col- a game like Columbus. But we won in OT. Um, then we lost to Nashville, which was the most frustrating game of this road trip because, uh, you know, because uh, I have Pekka Rini in my fantasy team, so I was just expecting him, the same thing to happen to him. And then the one time Pekka Rini actually does well, it had to be against my Bruins, so. Now, here's, here's the, here's the big question. Did you keep him on your bench or did you start him? No, I, I started him. I feel like, yeah, I, I, I. I have a the only rule I have for fantasy hockey is I don't draft or pick up any Montreal players. <laughs> um, but in terms of like players playing like you know my team, I kind of have to start them, you know. Yeah. But um, I feel like that's I don't know. I feel like <laughs> it's so it's, it's a conflicting thing for fantasy hockey players, as you know. Um, and then. Uh, and then a surprising thing. So, like, I thought, like, okay, so great. We played the Dallas next. And, like, uh, earlier in the year, we got destroyed by Dallas. Um, so, I was, like, thinking, like, okay, great. We're going to lose. We're probably going to lose to Dallas. Um, After the first period, that's what it looked like. Yeah, it looked like that because it was 3-1. Then, all of a sudden, we got, like, six unanswered points. Um, so, and, like, two of the Dallas, and it shouldn't have even been 7-3. to It should have been, like, 7-1. to because, like, there were two goals that um, one w- looked like a goalie interference. You, you could call it either way. And there was another that um, that should have been called off because, like, McQuaid uh, took off the, uh, the goal post or something. And it was, like, supposedly, hypothetically going to go in. But you could call it either way, too. Because Rask originally saved it. But they were saying, like, it's going to go in. But then uh, McQuaid took down the goalie thing. So, mm. anyways, that's neither here nor there because we won. Um, so, but uh, the, uh, uh, yeah, so Marshawn we talked about, he, uh, he he has a milestone. I feel like he's grown through our years. We finally have that guy. Um, you know, it's just, you know, he needs to be consistent now in terms of from season to season. We'll see if that happens. Uh, but, uh, it's definitely awesome. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So of the possible 12 points we could have gotten, uh, we ended up getting, hold on. Is that right? One, two, two, four, six, eight. 
Yeah, so the possible 12, we got 8 points, um, which I think is great, especially with the win against the best team of that bunch, um, Dallas. So To be fair, though, Dallas is kind of on a, a bit of a rough stretch, yeah, yeah. even though they were 7-2 and won their past 9. They were coming off a 6-3 loss to Arizona, of all teams. Yeah, and I'll, but so, I mean, I'll, I'll take it. 13 goals in 2 games. I'll take it. I mean... Yeah, you'll take uh, it anyway. You yeah, yeah exactly. Uh but you would think they could have gotten 10 of a possible 12, uh, considering they lost to Detroit in regulation. When you score mm-hmm. five goals against the Red Wings and take advantage of an yeah. off night by Peter Morasic, uh, those are games you got to win. And no, no, I agree. They lose six to five. I was, so I'm, that, I, that, that was a winnable game. Even though it was a crazy true. game, it was a very winnable game. True. I, I, was, more, I was more annoyed by the Nashville game of the yeah. two losses we had, just because... I feel like we didn't even care against Nashville. Um, but, yeah, Detroit, I mean, at least we tried in Detroit. Um, it was frustrating for sure, though. But, yeah. Um, but but their, their veterans right now, the Bruins veterans, are playing at their best. And now yeah. it's up to their unsung heroes uh, to make their voices heard because, yeah. you know, we, we've all known that this team has been road warriors for the entire season, mm-hmm. and their real Achilles heel is at home. Uh, that's where they play six of their next seven games. Uh, and during that stretch, they faced Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, Chicago, and Washington. Yeah. So th- that, that homestand is going to be huge for them. Well, we, we don't play Washington. Yeah, I, I think uh, the six... I have here that we play, we play Columbus, Pittsburgh, then we play Carolina on Friday, and then Tampa Bay on Sunday. Okay. I don't I, know I was, where. I was, oh, I was, you're thinking of next week. We yeah, play Chicago. Six of, next, six of their next seven games, yeah, not yeah. six of the next seven days they play. It's six yeah, of their next oh, seven, okay. seven games at TD Garden. I believe Washington yeah, yeah. is on that list. You got to post them. But, um, yeah, uh, Washington and Chicago are both next week. Yeah, and, and both of them are, I think, one after the other, if I'm not mistaken. So. No, no. Chicago is March 3rd. Uh, Washington's March 5th. So two, uh, three days. Yeah, but in, in between, like the the, yeah, yeah. the next the two home games would be yeah. 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 Uh, either way, it's it's like I said, the next week or so is really gonna tell us a lot about this team, especially again with the trade deadline. Like this is a make right. or break week for a lot of teams because we get to see you know what's gonna happen as they gear up for the playoff. Run. Yeah, and what you were saying with the veterans and the you know taking control, and we'll see what the young guns do. I know uh, Tory Krug uh, got injured on the, like the last minute of the Dallas game, so I don't know if hopefully he he's he's back or he's healthy. Um, I heard Ryan Spooner as well. Was yeah, and I was about to mention Ryan Spooner didn't play, so uh, hopefully he comes back. But um, yeah, all of this makes me think that they're not gonna they're gonna sign uh, Louis Erickson. He's been good, so um, but. Um, and then in that case, then I don't know what we'll do for the trade deadline. Um, but it should be interesting, though, um, just for the trade deadline. I think we'll we'll probably have something prepared for the trade deadline. I think that's because it's uh, February 28th, which is a 29th, Sunday. 29th, actually. That's a Monday. Oh, it's Monday? Monday? Yeah. Oh, so we might have so to might, do might like, have a, like a recap show or whatever. Yeah. 
<laughs> and, and how, however, however you trade is fared out in the early stages, that'll... But that might have to be two weeks from now. Yeah, yeah. so it'll probably be episode 22 uh, where we talk about that. But yeah, we'll yeah. have plenty of stuff to talk about in episode 21 regardless. Yeah, exactly. Maybe rumors as the trade deadline eats up. Who knows? Yeah, all that maybe, stuff. Maybe we'll have, maybe we'll have some debt uh, trades before the deal because it, I remember <laughs> last year... A, a lot of big deals happen before the actual day of the deadline. That's true. Um, yeah. Um, all right. I think that's it. Yeah. On that note, I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. And we'll talk to you in episode 21 of the Lace Em Up podcast. Yep.